Hey everyone, before we kick off today, I have to share some big news with you. My book is here, Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth, and it's available now via the links in this week's episode description for pre-order. I've written this guide to hold your hand as you navigate preparing for birth. It has my knowledge of over a decade in midwifery to make sure that you are properly equipped with honest, reliable and evidence-based information about your body, baby and birth so that a positive and empowering journey that you deserve at this important time can be achieved. Click the link in the episode description to get your copy ordered now. Pre-orders are super important and your support in helping me on my mission to empower women means the world. and welcome to the Pregnancy Wellness Podcast, hosted by me, Pip, a practicing midwife who is on a mission to provide you with real evidence-based information about pregnancy, birth and the postpartum. Each episode, I'll be joined by special guests and leading experts to equip you with all the information you need for an empowered journey from conception right through to motherhood. So, with no further ado, Let's make a cuppa and get started with today's episode. Hello, and I'm absolutely thrilled to be joined today by one of the most passionate midwives and star of Emma Willis's Delivering Babies show. Um, But her journey to midwifery has been far from a conventional one. So Nagme was born in Iran and initially studied law until the Iranian Revolution in 1978, when her whole family had to flee for fear of persecution. And then in the UK, Nagme ended up training as a nurse and then as a midwife and has gone on to touch the lives of so many women. And 40 years later, Nagme is now supporting the babies that she helped into the world have babies of their own. Midwifery truly chose Nagme, and I know I speak for so many families when I say that we are all so pleased that she ended up on the career path that she has. Nagme currently works as a delivery suite coordinator at Princess Anne's Alexandra's Hospital in Harlow. She has a wealth of experience in supporting women through cesarean section birth, so I couldn't think of anyone more fitting to talk about how to have a positive cesarean section birth with us. So welcome Nagme and thank you so much for joining me. I know that you have finished some night shifts, so brilliant that you're with us today. Thank you very much for asking me to chat with you. Thank you. So I think, um, Nagme, I know we, we had, had a little chat earlier and actually today is a really special day for you. So tell, tell yes, us. That's right. Yeah. Um, in, on the 21st of July, 1980 is when I started my nurse training. And those days you had to be a nurse before you become a midwife. So I had to do a four years of a nursing training before I did my midwifery training. So 40 years ago today is a very emotional day for me because I started to uh, do my midwifery and it was a job that I never wanted to do because I was going to be a lawyer. You actually made me very emotional when you sort of get a, got, got, gave a little resume of my life. 
life. And um, it's very, it's, I sometimes can't even believe myself that I started a job because it was going to keep me out of Iran. And it ended up to be a job that I can't see myself not have done all my life. It's amazing the path that you've ended up on and 40 years experience caring for um, people and women. I mean, just amazing. So your experience level, Nagme, is one of the best. So you are an amazing guest for me to have on today. So thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you. So I think it's really important that we recognise how common cesarean section birth is because it seems to be sort of not really talked about much. That's right, yeah, because um, these days, um, obviously, you know, with, um, with uh, everything has changed, the whole dynamic of midwifery has changed, and uh, we now recognize patients, or ladies rather, that they, have, um, they are high risk or low risk, whereas in the days that I started my midwifery, we didn't have these risk factors. So we have got more scans. We are now, um, you know, have got the smoker pathway, better births. So with all of these, we are actually observing patient, the ladies more and more and more and more closely. But equally, we don't willy-nilly um, choose to do a cesarean section on the ladies. You have to be very careful. You have to watch them. You have to give them the best possible chance for a vaginal birth anyway. Yeah, definitely. And I suppose it's it's a kind of medically necessary and kind of life-saving procedure for a lot of mums. Um, and about right. one in four women have a cesarean section birth, don't they? So it's really important that um, we kind of talk about it and, and get information out there to women. That's correct, yes. Because the more they know, the less frightened they are if suddenly that is the um, chosen method of birth. It's much easier if they are already prepared. Absolutely. And that's kind of what today's um, podcast episode is all about. And recognizing that a cesarean birth can still be a very empowering, positive and fulfilling experience. That's right, yes, and it's with us to um, empower women to uh, make sure that they are fully uh, furnished and aware of what is happening. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. I think that's really, really important. And Nagme, in your kind of experience working with women over the years, have you kind of recognised that women seem to, for some reason, um, have kind of a huge sense of either failure or guilt about giving birth via cesarean section. What's your kind of experience with that? Um, a lot of ladies, yes, they do. A lot of women, they do, especially if they have gone through labor. If it has been an elective section um, for any reason, elective section ladies don't actually feel they are a failure because they knew it was an elective section for one reason or another. They seem to be more equipped and less feeling that they are of a failure. But the ladies who go through labor and for either maternal or fetal reason uh, and well-being, we have got to perform a cesarean section. Majority of them feel that they are a failure. And 
I've got to say at that point, when they tell you I have failed, I am not good, I shouldn't have been a mother, which it absolutely brings tears to my eyes because this is supposed to be the happiest day of their life, is the most important part of their labor because you're going to take them to theater to do cesarean section. And when they are feeling like this, it absolutely makes me want to cry. And from then on, I start building them up to say you are in control you are not a failure you are going to have a baby it is the happiest and the best day of your life and yes you can do it and once you actually say to these women that they have been good enough to have got pregnant they have been amazing to have carried this baby for nine months and developed this beautiful healthy child and that very last bit, they feel they are a failure. But once you explain this to them, they'll go, yes, Nagma, you are right. I am not a failure. I am going to do this. And I think it's because it's the fear of unknown, is the fear of what they didn't want to have. And really, these women do benefit from birth reflection once they have delivered their babies because they need to be debriefed, they need to be talked to um, and go through their notes to see why that has happened. And once they know what has happened, I think they are actually much easier to see the light, if you know what I mean. Yeah, brilliant. And, and I guess that kind of comes down to women maybe understanding um, and that communication between women and the healthcare professionals and also their antenatal education understanding about cesarean section birth because it is common, isn't it, that it's quite kind of maybe sometimes a little bit rushed with an emergency cesarean if there is a reason to be concerned about the baby, for example. So having that kind of understanding before that point can be really fantastic in helping women to cope with that transition if their labor takes that kind of that path. Yes, and I sometimes also feel if there has been occasions with uh, if we are not happy with the baby's heartbeat or if mum's condition is changing or both, if you start just giving them a little bit of a heads up, I, in my experience, it actually works because the, if, if the, you know, things like when we say we will examine you again and if there is no progress, if, you know, once you give them the tiny bit of heads up, they actually will cope with the going for a section much easier, much easier. Yeah, I guess it's less of a kind of shock factor, isn't it? So I suppose that comes down to us just being really honest and open with women and explaining to them and, and they have the right to know what's what's happening in their labour progress and perhaps where our heads are at. And that gives gives us all time and opportunity to have those questions and talk through their concerns and help explain some of the ways that they can still be empowered, even if their birth does take this journey. That's that's exactly right. And I guess with the rise, um, Nagme, in kind of social media and peer pressure and kind of celebrity influences, 
it seems to me that there's like this ethos that women need to compare their births, whether that's with friends or with people on social media. And do you think that's kind of feeding into some of these emotions that women have around their cesarean sections? Yes, it does, because they are very pressurized. These days we are in a in a world that we are all pressurized by one thing or another. And um, especially when, you know, your friend or somebody on the social media or one of the celebrities tell you that they've had an easy birth, they just walked in and within minutes they had a baby, you do feel a failure. You know, you do think, my God, so what's happened to me? This body is not designed to have a baby. Whereas I always say to my women, your body, you are a woman. God has made your body to become pregnant, to go through pregnancy, to give birth one way or another. This is what your body is designed for. And in a way, your mind also is designed for it. But they do need the honesty and the communication, as you said, between the healthcare professionals and the woman. I find that is the key. Once you're honest with them, they, they are much more prepared, much more prepared. The fear is there. And also, once you have prepared them, then they will tell you what they want to happen in theater. You know, provided all well, you can discuss still having a delayed cord clamping. A lot of our doctors these days, they do the easy cesarean section. So literally baby slides out or um, if they want to play their, uh, their favorite music list. You know, they can still be empowered. They can still have the person of choice there. Um, so there is still a lot of work to be done. Um, and what I really want to change in my unit, which is really what I love to change, is for women to be able to have skin-to-skin -skin contact at, at the birth in cesarean section. And that needs a little bit of a work done to it. I can't understand why, but um, historically uh, with our profession or with hospitals, a lot of things we do it because it's always been done. But in the last few decades, we have changed that because we are now stopping to say, why am I doing it? What is the rationale behind it? What's the research behind it? What do the royal colleges say with any guidance? And you realize, am I doing this just because we've done it for the last hundreds of years? So that is one thing I would love to see. Of course, if there is any reason baby needs to be, you know, having being observed or needing to go to uh, the neonatal intensive care unit, that is totally understandable. But when all well, with majority of the sections, all is well, then I can't understand why we can't have skin to skin. And I'm sure we will change that. Yeah, definitely. And actually, it's something that the um, trust that I work in is, is um, sort of advocating, actually. And I think this is where women's voices are so powerful because it's their voices and they're questioning and asking questions. So if you're... If, you, if this skin-to-skin -skin in theatre is something that you want and something that absolutely could be facilitated for you, then ask that question because your voices are the most powerful way of us shaping our maternity kind of services and protocols for the future. So don't be scared to speak up and ask questions and use your voice um, because we want this to be an amazing experience for you. 
regardless of the twists and turns that your labor path might take there's lots of things that can still be incorporated so speak up for sure and Nagme, we kind of alluded to the differences between an elective cesarean section and an emergency cesarean section. And I just wondered if you could kind of explain the difference and some examples of why these might take place. Obviously, there are two kinds of cesarean section. One is elective and one is an emergency cesarean section. Elective caesarean section is when, for either maternal or fetal reason, the consultant, the obstetrician, has decided uh, with the woman's partnership to make that decision, of course, that that would be the best and safest way to deliver one's baby. Um, a lot of times uh, these days, if you have got uh, twins, multiple pregnancies, if they are both, for example, breech presentation or they have got malpresentation, they are transverse when the baby is lying um, in a horizontal position or sideways. Um, if you have got a placenta previa, that is when your afterbirth is covering the opening of the um, of your neck of your womb. Um, a lot of times still, if a baby is breech, um, of course, as I said, we discuss this with the women and some ladies just would say, right, you have told me all the pros and cons. Thank you very much. But I still would choose to have a, a cesarean section. Or sometimes the ladies have got tocophobia, that is when they are frightened of going into labor, which we do hear that, we do listen to them, and we have got to work with them. And that is, we, in our unit now, we have got a cesarean section team. I don't know if you've got that in your unit yet. We have no, actually- we haven't, but that sounds amazing. It is wonderful. So it's really, it was our, uh, is a cesarean section team from the moment that a lady, uh, a woman will come in and there is any reason that she has got to have a section, she's seen by the cesarean section team, all the clinics are done by them, all their, um, um, their, um, if they need dexamethasone, which is the um, hormone for the maturity of the baby's lungs, they give that, they will um, do their antenatal classes for them. So it's totally one-to-one. -to -one. And they also, when they come in for the elective section, they are welcomed by the elective section team and they go to theater with them. They will then recover them after the um, theater and they will then take them to the ward. That is absolutely beautiful and wonderful. If you are going for a, an emergency section, there are four categories of emergency section, which is category one, two, three, and four. The category four really is, again, goes to the elective section. And the reason we have categorized them is from the moment the decision has been made in an emergency, until we deliver the baby, there is a certain timetable that we have got to follow. And the sooner the better. So for a category one is a half an hour window. So we have to get the baby out within the first half an hour, but it never takes that long. It's literally minutes these babies are out because once you make that decision, you've got to move, not now, yesterday. 
um, and this is the one that you know is more traumatic for the uh, women. Um, emergency buzzer are sounded. There is a lot of people there. Um, they feel the necessity is so important that they can't ask questions. You can. We are still running around, but you can ask. We are still moving fast, but we are still answering your questions and putting your mind to rest. So that's the one that I always think they need more of a, um, in a way, mental health um, help with respect of um, debriefing them afterwards. And how I like to do things and how we do it in my unit, and I am sure in every unit is the same, is that you are talking to the women and you are informing them all the way through. When they come to recovery, which is the room you go to after your cesarean section and you stay there two, three hours, um, in there, the doctor will come. They will tell you again what they've done, what their findings have been. Um, the, if there is any reason, the baby doctors, the pediatricians will come to see you as well. Anesthetists will come to see you. They will tell you exactly what has happened. And of course, you've got your midwife or you have got the maternity nurse who is recovering you in the um, recovery room. And again, they will go through everything with you. So we are continuously explaining everything. But please, as Pippa said, ask. You've got to ask questions because not only you change maternity services and you give yourself a better outcome, you also change our practices for the better. So if we listen to you and which I change my practice, then I will take your points of view and I will change my practice for my next woman. So I get it better and better. And that's what we are hoping to get your experience to be that 102%. Yeah, definitely. And, and it's, it's difficult, especially when you alluded to the, the category one emergency cesarean sections. And I think for many women and also their birth partners, that a lot of birth trauma um, and potentially some postnatal depression symptoms can kind of stem from that, that experience because of the speed. And that's really a great ad, um, advice that you gave Nagme about the fact that although people might be doing things, um, we are a really well-oiled machine and we are used to performing things quickly when we need to for your safety. So we're great at multitasking. So if we are doing something or we're giving you some medication, or sometimes it's taking some swabs or popping some socks on you, you can be asking us questions at the same time. And please don't ever feel like you can't do that. You don't just have to lie back and, and have all these things done to you. Please do, do use your voice again. And I love the um, cesarean section team that you spoke about. That sounds really exciting. Yeah. And I wonder whether that level of continuity that women are getting from their um, cesarean sections and from that team that surrounds them, whether that seems to improve some of those um, feelings of kind of failure or, or kind of reduced satisfaction. Do you think that that's really helped? I have noticed, yes, because I, I do see our section team in the mornings and the amount of feedback these girls are getting, it's incredible. And 
because we go with feedback unless you tell us how you feel. And that is not, we don't always want to hear your compliment. We want to hear your, when I'm saying complaints, I don't mean complaints. Anything that you feel is going to help us to get it even better. Um, unless we get a feedback, we will continue doing what we are doing. So the girls are getting massive amount of feedback. And obviously I see the ladies because I go to see them on the ward and they tell me how they were feeling. So, um, I, and we are spreading that out now with our normal teams now. We, are, we already have got one team that is our, um, our um, continuity team and we are going to have another three continuity teams. So. But then again, in my experience, this is my third time round that I have seen continuity teams come in. They come in and for reasons, they um, sort of go out. But this time round, I hope they come in and they stay. But our section team is beautiful, absolutely delightful. And you can also see the ladies when they come to go for the um, elective section. They are as happy as a Larry, you know, but even to just give you a bit of a moral support, even if you end up to go for a section and the midwife is done 12, 13 hours and she's supposed to be going off duty, she will not go home. She will stay with you in theater until your baby's out. So you are not going to have a midwife for 12, 13 hours and right at the last minute she goes, bye, I'm off home. They would stay. So really we do have uh, quite a good continuity. We give one-to-one -one care and you get used to the same voice, the same instructions, the same method of explaining things to you. So I hope that by the time you are on that table and you see your baby, you don't have any problems. And I know that is because especially even if you do need birth reflection or debriefing, it's finished. After that, you have come out of the woods because you know exactly what happened, why it happened and why the speed happened that way. Yeah, that's brilliant. And that's where that that debriefing service and exploring your your thoughts and feelings around your cesarean birth is is so powerful for your kind of ongoing recovery um, and it's something that we really mustn't neglect and we really must focus on in that postpartum period especially the first kind of few weeks i just also, wonder... if, sorry one more thing it came to my head i think it's the right time perhaps to mention is that then it also would help you for going for a vaginal birth with your subsequent babies because we all have got to empower you to go for a vaginal birth after your cesarean so going for a birth reflection so you know why you had your section as an emergency it would then allow you to make the correct judgment for the method of your delivery subsequently yeah that's that's a really good point actually Nagme. so ladies that have had a emergency cesarean section for example with their first child they have an option don't they for their subsequent yeah that's right they've got an option they can either go for an elective section or they can go for a, um, a vaginal birth. Obviously, as midwives and obstetrician, provided there has not been any issues, we have to empower you to go for a vaginal birth because it's the best 
birth for you and your baby. But again, is what is best for you. And we hear you again. I always say we are not making judgment and telling you what to do. Is a is a is a um, um, relationship we have with you um, that we are working together for everything. Yeah, definitely. And it's it's just empowering women to make an informed choice. So they'll be given all of the statistics and um, the, the kind of pros and cons that are specific to them and their obstetric history and their birth history and their well-being. And then they are empowered to make their own decision that's right for them. And it's important that women recognise that they are the only one that can make the right decision for them. So we will give you all the information, a completely non-biased um, kind of balanced a balanced approach and then you can make that decision and we will support you in whichever decision that you make and we kind of spoke about the fact that for ladies that have had a previous cesarean section but actually for any lady a cesarean section is an option um, and for some ladies like we said about tocophobia where they've got a fear of birth then it is a can be the most appropriate birth option but it is a birth option for anybody the, the difficulty comes in that with all things pregnancy and birth, we've got this risk versus benefit kind of kind of seesaw motion, haven't we? So it's, it's the fact that cesarean section is abdominal surgery. So if we can avoid that, then that's optimal. But it is a choice for anybody. As long as, you've, as, long as you're making an informed choice, then your service will support you in, in that pathway. We have even got ladies, uh, women who um, have been booked for an elective section. They suddenly go into labor. They come in. We examine them and they'll go, hold on a minute. If I'm actually in labor, I think I'll go for a vaginal birth. And the number of ladies we have that they are actually beautifully in labor by the time they come. And when you go, you're actually four centimeters, they'll go, Right, okay, then I think I'll go for a vaginal birth. And they achieve it. So you can always change your mind. Whichever way, there is always that window for you to change your mind. Yeah, that's brilliant. And it's really flexible, isn't it? Labour and birth is is for, to quite a large extent largely unknown and so it's really important that we're all flexible and um in our practice and we change things as we need to and we respond to sort of what your body and what your baby's doing um, at all that's right yeah so we've kind of looked at that feeling of maybe a sense of loss of control and the evidence that suggests that women who do have a cesarean section, especially the emergency cesareans, I think more so, how they may experience a kind of reduced satisfaction level from their birth experience overall. And I wonder whether things that women can do to make them feel empowered and more relaxed about a cesarean section um, in the kind of antenatal period and kind of focusing on some of the things that they can control. There's inevitably things that we can't control, largely whatever your baby's deciding to do during, during labour and birth. Um, but I wonder what sort of things women can focus on that will help them to still feel empowered and feel in control um, to avoid that kind of feeling of reduced satisfaction or feeling like things are completely out of their control and potential birth traumas that might come as a result is certain things that women can kind of do and prepare in the antenatal period just in case right um 
it's a little bit difficult this bit because uh, really again for me they have got the same choices that they have when we go for a vaginal birth or they go into labor and at the end of the day women are still in control and I have had ladies who say to me but Nahme, I am not in control now you're going to go take it before a section and I then say yes you have got control because you can say I don't want one and they'll go but I know it's the best thing for my baby because baby is not happy. I'll go then, you have made the correct choice then. So they still have got control overall and they still have got um, choices. So choices with respect of they, uh, when we take them to theater, they have got a choice of a birth partner, one birth partner to go in. I must say, I have at times, as Pippa said, you um, you know, we are flexible. When there has been a specific need for that particular woman, I have bent every rule in the book and I have taken two birth partners in. Because if I feel that is the best thing for my woman, and if she tells me that is the way, the, the way to go, as I said, it's not for everybody, but sometimes there is no other way. And I feel if this is going to make my lady come out of it in a good condition, then I will take two people in. And it works. They have got a choice of um, the delayed court clamping, which a lot of times baby comes out crying. I've had the head out, body is still in, baby's crying. Perfect. We have our delayed cord clamping, which is very, very important. Um, obviously, that can't cut the cord, partners can't cut the cord because of the sterility of the area. But then when baby goes to a machine, which is called the resuscitaire, where we just check the baby to make sure baby is fine and they don't need any help with their breathing or um, any oxygen or anything baby doctor also is there to check the baby this is a routine i then will get the dad to go immediately to take the pictures immediately to cut the cord trim the cord they have got choices of their favorite music they can have we have had the little um you know the little electronic candles i've had them in theater before i've just cleaned them up put them in theater so they had their candles. Um, I've draped little fairy lights in theaters for them before. Um, hopefully we are going to change and have the um, skin to skin. Um, if baby needs to go to um, neonatal intensive care, the birth partner can go or birth partner can stay with the woman in theater. The second birth partner can go with the baby to neonatal intensive care unit. And I'm not discussing at the moment, which is COVID, because our arms are a little bit tied on our backs with the situation with the coronavirus. And I, patient, the women all understand, public fully understands and they understand every word you say. Hopefully we are going to come out of COVID-19 and we will go back to, I know it would be a new normal, but we will then change with our new normal. And then they will come to the recovery room. They will have their skin to skin there for as long as they want. 
they will get help and guidance and support with any method of feeding, breastfeeding or formula feeding, and their their uh, partner, birth partner, can stay with them there and will go from there. So they are ultimately still in charge, you know. And our uh, in our recovery room, the lights are dim. You know, we dim the lights out so, you know, it's nice and calm for them and they can go back to what they were doing in their delivery room. So you are ultimately still in control, in charge, and you can, it's your voice that we hear. I love that, Nagme, and I love I love the fact that you alluded to music because music is something that can so easily be transported through any type of birth and through any type of birth situation. So whether you started your labour at home and perhaps moved into a co-located birth centre and then perhaps to a delivery suite and then into a theatre, your music can accompany you the whole way through. So that's something you can be completely in control of. And if music is something that helps to reduce your anxiety around what's going on and help you control your breathing techniques, especially if you're doing some kind of hypnobirthing practice, that can come with you the whole way. So that's really quite empowering for women. So and something they can prepare antenatally as well and know that they've got that to take with them. Mm-hmm. And skin to skin, so I love that. And it's important in theatre, sometimes when babies are born, they're kind of checked over, and if everything's fine, there is some other checks that we do like to do. So we like to weigh your baby and check their temperature and things like that. But if your baby is term and well and screaming at us, then there is no reason why all these things can't wait so your baby can go straight on to you. So if your baby comes out crying, it has its delayed cord clamping, some surgeons will drop the drape so that everything stays sterile, but you see your baby during that delayed cord clamping period, which is really nice. And another nice thing that can be done at that moment is if you didn't know whether you were having a little girl or a little boy, then dad can have a little look or, or whoever's accompanying you in theatre and kind of announce that to you. And that's that's quite a special, a beautiful moment when I've seen that happen. So that's another thing that if that was on your birth preference, that that your birth partner or baby's dad was announcing the sex, that can still be done during a cesarean section birth as well. It's it's hell of a lot, and also um, you you know we always chat to the lady, chat to her partner, we crack jokes, not not um, unmindfully, can I say, not unmindfully, just to lighten the mood for the ladies to start laughing, for their family to start laughing. Um, so we are continuously getting them uh, into the chatting mode to tell us about, you know, uh, about their other children, about whether their parents live nearby, do they have other grandchildren? Um, so, you know, there is a continuous banter going around, but a nice banter to literally just lighten the mood, but in a mindful matter. And they absolutely love it because they remember that. So when they come back next time, they'll go, I remember you were saying, and it brings a smile to their face. So it's, you know, uh, as I said, mindfully, but... um, and knowing about the sex they've got or the name, we usually, you know, they'll go, well, we've got a short list of these names. So we chat about names and, you know, it's, it's, 
it's actually, I find it very exciting because they are excited to have their baby. I find a section as exciting as having a vaginal birth because there is a new life. We are bringing another life into this beautiful world of ours. And absolutely. it's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. Yeah, and I love that. I totally echo that, Nagme, that I find birth of anyone's baby regardless of the mode as monumentous and as exciting and and I love that and I hope that women can feel that as well and it's sometimes just those small acts of kindness and reassurance like you said just chatting to women um holding their hand and popping your your hand on their shoulder just those little acts of kindness and reassurance that quite often people remember much more than the kind of physical clinical care Um, and so I think we mustn't undervalue that the other um, little bit of advice sometimes I give to mums for emergency cesarean section is when you come out of your birth room which may have had beautiful dim lighting the corridors Mm -hmm. and theatres are in contrast really quite bright so sometimes as you transition into theatre just closing your eyes or if you've got an eye mask you could always put some bit of lavender or something on that and again it's just to relax your body and and to small things again that you can just keep in control of and that can mirror what your birth preferences may have had at the beginning of your labor and little things that actually can make you feel really quite in control and empowered and make your cesarean still a really positive birthing experience for you that's a beautiful advice i love it Mm, yeah and i think it's important as well that women don't feel like they need to justify their cesarean section birth to anybody because you hear that so often, don't you? Oh, I I really didn't want to, but this happened or I had to because this happened. It's your birth. And the fact that ladies, especially who've had emergency cesarean sections, may have gone through all of labour, all of their pregnancy, most definitely, and all of labour to then have um, fairly major emergency surgery to save them or their baby's life. So the fact that people feel they need to justify that or feel that they may have failed in their in their birthing experience because of that is completely ludicrous. And actually, yes. cesarean section mums are some of the strongest and bravest and most courageous, and they should feel really proud and really strong from what they've gone through. That's correct, yeah. And also, they would be better um, teachers on their uh, social media, really, and with their friends, rather than um, other friends of theirs or other people feeling they are a failure, they can actually empower other women with, with their strength they've had. Yeah, absolutely. The power of women supporting and talking to women is like unstoppable, it's isn't it? It's than anything else, yeah. Yeah, brilliant. And we kind of talked about what what it's like in theatre a little bit, but can you just go through, Nagmi, what, what women may feel and what they might experience in theatre? And I know sometimes there's a lot of people and that can be a little bit overwhelming. So how we can kind of manage these emotions and feelings? 
Um, usually, if you're going for a, um, uh, it has, if it's an elective section, you've got actually smaller number of people around. Um, for an for for a normal for any section, whether elective or emergency, you will have your midwife who is looking after you. So that midwife stays with you from the beginning to the end. You will have the obstetrician who is going to be performing the surgery. You will have another obstetrician who will be the assistant. Assistance. You have got a scrub nurse or midwife, and that is the person who is also assisting the surgeon. You will have a runner, which is one of our healthcare assistants, who are running around getting equipments and doing all the floor work. You will have a baby doctor, the pediatrician. You will have an anesthetist, which is doing your um, anesthesia with regards to an epidural or a spinal, or if you're going to be undergoing a general anesthetic. And also you will have the operating department assistant, which is um, assisting the um, anesthetist. If it's an emergency, you will have much more than this. Any emergencies, you certainly, um, depending to grades of emergency, you will have more. If it's a category um, one, two, or three section, you certainly will have the labor board coordinator, like myself, she will be there as well. If there is a lot of complexities, if you have got twins, you will have two midwives taking the babies to the two pediatricians. Um, you, um, if there is any um, possible bleeding, you will have more midwives in the room, in theater, you will have more runners in theater. You may have two, three anesthetists. You could have two or three operating department assistants. So. Really, in an emergency, you could have 10, 15, 20 people there. And what you've got to look at, I always give the heads up to them that when we go in theater, there is going to be a lot of people there. And what you've got to remember is if it's an emergency, you don't just want one man to help you. You want as many people as possible. The more, the merrier. Because as you said, we are a well-oiled machine. We are like a jigsaw that we all will click together and make this beautiful picture, which is the picture you see is the picture that is going to be saving your two lives or three lives. So there is a lot of people, don't be frightened of a lot of people. Sometimes, unfortunately, our voices get a bit louder and louder. So don't worry about it. That doesn't mean we are angry with each other um, because we don't, a lot of times in an emergency, we don't have pleasantries between us. Meaning you won't say, would you please kindly pass me, thank you very much, jolly decent of you, because that takes five minutes. We don't have the five minutes. So it's literally, pass me, thank you. But we all are very good friends together. We also, same as we debrief you, we debrief ourselves. And the first thing you always say is, if I was a little bit loud or sharp, I'm sorry, you know it was an emergency. So, you know, there is a lot happening. There is a lot of people talking on top of each other. In a way, if it's a massive emergency, you're better off to actually cut yourself out of what we are talking about because sometimes what we are talking about, it could actually frighten you more. So what I do, I every now and then go on the other side of the screen 
and say to them what is happening, what's going on, and what we are doing. So they know what we are discussing. Because there are um, abbreviations we use if you're going to have a blood transfusion, blood products, and you don't know these abbreviations, some of the instruments, some of the procedures we do. And if I just go on the other side, give you a little heads up, you know what's going on. If you feel it's too upsetting, put earphones on. Try to cut yourself out from us or best thing you said about the eye patch. If it feels upsetting, put some, put it, put some tissues. We can wet some tissues, drape them across your eyes, anything. You need to have all those people for helping you. And we all will help you and you will be fine because nothing is going to happen to you and your baby. It might, might be a bit of a problem at that point, but we will get through it and solve it. Yeah, definitely. That's really great advice. And I think that's where the things that we talked about, like the music and the like the eye mask and closing your eyes um, and those distraction conversations can be really important for trying to reduce how traumatic that feels in that moment in time. And I think that kind of rush scenario really does allude to those category one cesareans with the other categories where there's more time, there is a bit more discussion and a bit more chat around what's going on and it should feel less kind of rushed and traumatic and you should feel like your voice is being heard um, a lot more perhaps and you might in those real kind of real real kind of quick quick 30 minute we need we need to get get this little one into the world so I think that's it's it's useful to know how many people will be there but to recognize that they've all got a job and having all those people there they've all got an essential role in keeping you and your baby really safe so rather than feeling I guess scared and off put by the amount of faces there feel really grateful that all these experts are in this one theater just for you and your family and your baby to make sure you have the best possible outcome and I think that's where our NHS is incredible and in that when we when we say we need these resources they're there and we're there to keep you safe so it is daunting and it is overwhelming but just try and turn that thought process around to wow I've got all of these experts in one room looking at me and my baby to make sure that we're safe and that I'm going to get to meet my baby very soon and, and holding on to that moment because you know if you're going for a cesarean section that you are literally moments away from meeting your baby and that should also be really exciting yeah and then I suppose when we when ladies have had a cesarean section and, and more so if it's not been planned, I suppose, it's worth just noting that they're more likely to spend a little bit longer in hospital, aren't they? Afterwards. Yeah, um, uh, usually the day of your section is classified as day zero. And then you have got day one. We usually provide it all well with you and your baby. You get discharged on day two. But there is no rush for you to go home. If you feel that you need a bit more support with your breastfeeding, or uh, if there is any issues with babies, sometimes they could be a bit jaundiced or anything, you are always very welcome to stay longer if you wish. So please don't think that we are getting you out of the hospital. Our job obviously is here to get you and your baby well, and to get you back to your normal life. But 
there is no rush for you to go home if you feel you want to stay longer, especially with uh, assistance and some support and advice with breastfeeding, you're always very welcome. Once you've gone home on day two, provided all well, then you are not alone. You can't get rid of us that quickly because we still have got the community midwives that they are looking after you up to 28 days. They are still legally responsible for you. They will visit you. They will ring you. And also on day 10, you haven't got rid of all of us. You would then got the health visitor as well. So you are never left alone. There is always somebody. And obviously you've got your GP there as well. Yeah, that's been, I think it's just useful for mums to be able to prepare for that slightly longer stay. And there's really good reason for that stay in that we need to make sure largely that your pain is under control because you've had a surgical procedure. And in, in I guess, in emergency cases, do you find in your experience that perhaps the recovery isn't as quick as maybe an elective cesarean section? It sometimes is simply for the fact that these ladies who have ended up with the emergency section, they have already had a prolonged labor. They have already had probably eight, 10, 12 hours of labor. So they have been sleepless. They may have been induced. They've been in hospital for two, three days beforehand. So they are a little bit exhausted and it's not just physical exhaustion, it's physical, mental, psychological exhaustion. And for anybody, everybody has got a reason for that exhaustion, you know, to have suddenly become a mom. You weren't a mom. You suddenly have got this baby. The responsibility is quite, it could be quite daunting. It could be quite frightening. And the, the ladies do understand. They know why they are there for, to mobilize and to, you know, get used to being a mom, get used to learn basics, like to how to change a nappy, um, how to, whether you're formula or breastfeeding, because now we are empowering you with different ways of um, formula feeding, you still need to learn how to sterilize bottles, how to prepare the milk, how to bottle feed your baby, how to wind your baby. So there is a lot to learn. And that couple of days you're staying with us, honestly, it goes past very, very quickly. And you also make friends with the ladies in the room. You, um, you have a bit of a chat with them. You make friends with them after you've left for the hospital. And, um, you would sort of take it more in your stride this time round when it's your recovery time because you are going to be busy. You are not sitting there doing nothing. And equally, I know you said about the pain, but remember the more you walk, the more you mobilize, the less pain you're going to have and spread out your pain relief. So you're regularly having pain relief. So all of that, you're learning things, you know, when you go home, how to spread out your pain relief, when you go home, how to get in and out of bed, because we are there to teach you all of that and to help you. That's such an important point, because I think quite often cesarean section ladies on the postnatal ward are really concerned about asking for help. And it's important that, that they know, I suppose, that we are very aware that they have been through a huge ordeal and we don't want you to be overdoing it while you're in hospital. 
it's our job to be there to make that transition easier for you. And especially in that first 24 hours, I see mums quite frequently who overdo it after a cesarean in that initial period. Mm. And it really sets back their recovery for the following day when, when your catheter's out and we're trying to get you to mobilize. So it's really important that you embrace that support. Some common things that we would recommend that you avoid in that initial period is things like leaning over the bed to pick your baby up because it will it will cause you um some discomfort and it will it will mean that the kind of days when you want to be getting back to normal you're in a little bit too much pain to be able to do so so resting is important and then when you're able to getting doing some nice gentle mobilizing um, little walks even if it's just around your room or, or around your garden if you're at home just to gently keep yourself mobile and and reduce your risk of blood clots as well in in your legs by keeping yourself mobile also, um, one thing that I would like to touch again, it would be the pain relief situation. I always advise you to make sure you're taking it regularly because sometimes um, women would think, I've got no pain because if you haven't got a headache, you won't take paracetamols. I've got no pain. I'm absolutely fine. But remember, you've had a major abdominal surgery and it's not just a major abdominal. You've also had a baby. So you've done two things in one go. So you do need pain relief. Even if you haven't got the pain, make sure you take the pain relief when the girls come around with your medication at regular intervals. Even if you have had it and in between the medicine round, you want painkillers, you can always ask the midwives and they will give you, if you're due for it, if you're not due for it, they will tell you what time you will be due. Don't let to have the breakthrough pain because once you get the breakthrough pain, that is difficult to control for us and is quite miserable for you because it's not worth it to be in pain. Treat your pain relief a bit like antibiotics. You take the antibiotics for the course of five to seven days. Pain relief, you take it regularly for five to seven days and then gradually you will start tailing it off. That's fantastic advice because actually being in pain after having a baby will massively impact the um, experience of your, your postnatal journey. And we want it to be a positive experience. And if you're in pain and you don't feel like you're able to hold your baby or feed your baby in the way that you'd wished, then it will really reduce how positive that experience is for you. So that's fantastic advice. And, and I totally echo what you're saying in that once you you get in too much pain it's really hard to manage it's so much easier to just keep on top of it gently throughout the course so definitely definitely something to consider for, for ladies that do have a cesarean section birth and I guess leading on to that recovery it's important to recognize because I think quite often when ladies have got a baby and have had a cesarean birth we forget that they've had that major abdominal surgery because they've got a baby so everyone focuses on the baby and we forget that we're actually our body's undergoing huge recovery not only has it been dedicated to nurturing and growing and then birthing our baby it's now got this huge transformation to undergo afterwards and so making sure you make time for yourself in terms of nutrition and making sure you're eating sufficiently and hydration is so important for all those tissues to heal isn't it but I think women neglect themselves a little bit what do you think 
hugely, hugely, especially if they're feeding their baby the, and the food comes around. It's difficult when you're in hospital because obviously it's a hospital and we've got meal times. So a lot of times you could actually, in a way, miss your meal time because you are seeing to your baby, which it's the correct thing to do. So in hospital, we always have got sandwiches. There is always tea and toast. If you have missed the main meal, try and not to, but if you have, once you have seen to your baby and you're ready, you can ask the guests for some, you know, tea and toast or some sandwiches, or if the canteen is open, they can go and collect you a warm meal. So it's very important to hydrate yourself and eat. Now, when you go home, it's a different kettle of fish because you have got your own kitchen and your own facilities. And that is when you've got to be very careful because the day could go and you have forgotten to eat. You are very important because you are your baby's lifeline. Your partner is home for a week, for two weeks. Your mom is there, sister is there. They would all go. They will go to work. They will go to their homes. You are your baby's lifeline. You are the one who is either breastfeeding or you are bottle feeding your baby. You are also, you're a housewife. You know that one to get up and do a few light chores, but not for six weeks, of course. But you've got to make sure you make time. You must make sure that you, as soon as you finish seeing to your baby, you've got to get some food down your neck because otherwise you are going to forget. And if you're breastfeeding your baby, you need to have nutrition in you to be able to pass that onto your baby. And also you are not sleeping. Remember, if you're not sleeping, you also are you losing more energy. So you're not eating, you're not sleeping, it doesn't go together. We must remember to look after you. Your partner is home, you will give baby for a cuddle to your partner, go and have a nice warm bath pop some candles in the bathroom, safely, of course, without burning the bathtub, but make sure you put some candles, some, some aromatherapy, some oils, and some to take a little bit of time out because you are important. We need you. Yeah, that's brilliant advice, Nagme. It's really important that women um, nurture themselves as well as everybody else um, and take that time. And don't feel guilty or feel like it's selfish because actually it's a complete necessity to your ability to recover and then to look after everyone else if, if you're well. And one of my top tips that I'm a big advocate of is slow cookers and batch cooking because it means that you can very easily have an abundance of nutritious foods so that you're not spending loads of time slaving in the kitchen when you want to be making those precious memories with your baby. So that can again lead to having more of a, a kind of positive birthing experience so if you can prepare that antenatally fantastic um, but if not it's something that can save you a little bit of time afterwards and the other thing I think women are notoriously terrible of in all aspects of life is accepting help and I think this is a really important time that we say yes to help and if it's not being offered then ask for it yeah, I, I love what you said. That is absolutely true. Because again, it goes back that you can't cope. They are frightened to ask because then their friend never asked for help or somebody else. Because when you look at other people's lives, 
especially now with the social media, you always think that they've got a better life than you have and they cope better, especially if they've got two or three children. And you think, well, I'm the abnormal one because I found mothering quite difficult. And I very, very um, openly say, I found being a mom of two children, I had two under twos and I found it very difficult because we are perfectionists. You want everything to be perfect. And for that reason, I found it difficult. Now, when I look back, I think I was concentrating on tidying up the toys at the end of the day. Does it really matter? In the bigger scheme of things, no, it doesn't. To dust the worktop, does it matter? The most important thing it matters is for you to be happy, to be healthy, to have had enough sleep, food and drink, to be able to give love and food and the food of love and time to your baby. The dust 20 years on time, it would still be there. But that baby and that moment and that nurturing and that first year of life, which is the most important time of that baby's life, don't worry about anything else because we are living lives now that we don't have our families near us. I didn't have my parents. My parents lived in Bournemouth. My in-laws lived far away. So it was only me and my husband. So it was just the two of us running around. Something had to give. So I had to allow something to give. If you've got moms, dads, sisters, friends, they would love to help you. They would absolutely adore it. You've got a newborn baby, blind me. They will be there in a jiffy. Let them look after you. And if you have got nobody and they live far away or there is a reason they you can't ask them, then let the menial things go. A bit of dusting, a bit of hoovering, does it really matter? And when you look at it that way, you realize you're weighing things up and that doesn't matter. The house, the brick and mortar doesn't matter. But you, your baby, your partner, your family is the most important thing. That is the long lasting thing. And that is the life that you're going to be making to be nice and strong for the rest of their life. That's more important. I love that. Everyone, everyone needs a nagma in their life to put everything into perspective <laughs> in the postnatal period. So sit there and enjoy your cuddles with your newborn baby and enjoy your recovery for a positive experience and leave the housework for sure. <laughs> and I yeah. think if, there, if we ever needed an excuse to avoid housework, then a cesarean this is the time. is exactly <laughs> it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I love it. And so I, I suppose for for me, Nagme, the 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 best the, or the the kind of key take home bits of advice I want cesarean section mums to take from this is, I suppose, two things. One that it's completely impossible to fail at labour or birth. So, so regardless of how you have your baby exactly. or or what journey you go on to get there, you are an absolute warrior and you are strong and incredible, and you must never have those feelings of failure. And the other thing from me would be to avoid comparison or justification so you don't need to compare your birth to anybody else's you are unique absolutely and be very wary of these 
um, a, a square on social media of perfection because people will only portray on there what they actually want. So if you're finding after your birth experience that you're going on social media and forming these these really negative comparisons with other people, then just unfollow them because it's not yeah. worth it. Follow people that are going to make you feel inspired and comfortable and and positive and not people that are going to force you to feel these negative comparison emotions because we shouldn't be doing that as women. We need to be supporting each other and bigging each other up. Yeah, yeah, you're totally correct. And communicate with your midwife. Yeah, I love that. That's really important, isn't it? That that communication is so powerful. And sometimes I think because it's potentially every day for for a midwife or an obstetrician, we we forget how 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 important it is that we talk through everything that's going through our head naturally, but actually we we vocalize that to women. Yeah. So Nagme, what would be your top five tips to women who are either having a planned elective cesarean section or who are finding themselves having an unplanned emergency cesarean section but to help them feel like they're having a really empowered positive experience even though they are um, giving birth via cesarean section so what's going to make them still feel really empowered and positive Lovely. Uh, my five top tips would be um, you can still write your birth plan, have a birth plan. Um, communicate with your midwife and with your obstetrician and your voice is heard. Um, make sure that you are informed by what is happening around you. Um, so listening to our podcast, watching all the Instagram um, again, you've got to be making sure that you are following professionals so you are getting the totally correct advice. Um, make sure that if you can, you attend um, antenatal classes because the more information you have, the more empowered you are. And in a way, when things are not going your way, try and still be in control. Try to tell yourself, I am in control. I am strong. And my last tip would be, you are a woman. God created you a woman. You are strong. You are amazing. And I love you all. I love that. I mean, what a note to finish on, Nagme. <laughs> I love it. And I and I love your passion and your enthusiasm because like we alluded to at the beginning, 40 years in this profession and I know how much every birth and caring for women still means to you. And that's a complete oh, yes. inspiration. Massive, massive amount. Yeah. Oh, Same as I hope that I touch their lives. 40 years they have touched my life every day. Amazing. We do have a truly incredible job and it is such a privilege to be able to support women through all types of birth, whatever that may look like for them and their babies. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I really hope that you enjoyed it. If you found it helpful, then please hit subscribe and leave a review. It really does make a huge difference to the number of women we can reach out to and empower. For daily free information, inspiration, or details on our bespoke antenatal education, head over to my Instagram page at midwife underscore pip. Thank you and see you next time. Thank you.